This will be on the test. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. Our school teachers who warned us what was going to be on the exam really didn't need to go to all that trouble. We had figured out pretty early that anything they repeated a lot, that was the important material. Well, the educator who instructed us in his letter to the Hebrews used a similar approach. And it may surprise you how often he reiterates a point that we might have otherwise overlooked. Here's Jim in Hebrews chapter 4 to conclude his thoughts on our great high priest. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast the confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. Man, look at that again. Dear Jesus, it's me. I know I don't deserve to be here, but just wonder if you had a minute. Some things bother me. If you're too busy, I'll understand. No, with boldness. With boldness. I hear saying, wait a minute, that's God the Son. Uh huh. It's God the Son. But the writer goes on to tell us that this one who is God the Son, who is our great high priest, verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. Why? Because Jesus understands. Jesus has been there, done that, got scars. He's been tested in every way you could ever be tested. He knows what weaknesses are. He's very well acquainted with those. Remember, he became a man. And during his manhood, during his human life, when he was in incarnate human flesh, during that time, he was tested. He went face to face with his majesty, the devil. You haven't. I haven't. He did. Every way but one Jesus experienced your weaknesses, your struggles, your trials, my temptations, my frustration. He experienced it all. He wept. He slept. Became tired. Became thirsty. Go on and on and on and on and on. In his humanity, he became just like us, and he was tested every way we can. So he is empathetic with our weaknesses. He knows why we need to pray. He knows what we're going to pray about. And he knows how to fix it. Now, look carefully. Where is he now? Look again at verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, he's back at the throne of God. He's back at the center of the universe. He's back in the very presence of God the Father. As a matter of fact, the Scripture tells us he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. That's what the Bible tells us. Now, that fits perfectly with some other things that the writer of Hebrews wants to tell us. One of them is that he's not working to save us. He's already worked. He's finished the work. Salvation 
is accomplished. It's a done deal. Demons, devil, no one can separate you from the work Jesus Christ did on your behalf in his becoming man, in his dying on the cross, in his resurrection, and his rise to the Father. It's a done deal. That's why you can come boldly. You are already a son of God, a child of God. You're already a member of the holy family, meaning that you are joined there with Jesus Christ. Everything that can be done has already been done. And salvation is for us a gift of God's grace. It's something he gives us based upon his finished work. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace. Now grace rules. We have nothing to fear, nothing to fear to walk into the throne room of Almighty God. You're welcome there. You're expected there. You're, you're wanted there. You're loved there. Why? Because you're perfect? No. Because you're his child. Because you are the recipient of his grace, and in and through his grace, he has, he has faced all your problems, faced all your weaknesses, faced all of your struggles, gone through everything that you could ever possibly experience, and he did it victoriously, and he's there to help. It's incredible. Incredible. Just an incredible concept. So we're told not only to consider him, but we're told to experience him. Come boldly. Go boldly. Since what we confess is based upon the revelation that God gave of his son, since it's based upon the experience of his forgiving grace in our life, we come boldly into his presence before the throne of grace. And in petitioning him, he promises that he will make available to us mercy and we will find grace to help. Whatever the need. Whatever the need. Grace for suffering, grace for sorrow, grace for living, grace for failure, grace for loneliness, grace for anxiousness. What do you need, brothers and sisters? What do you need? His grace is sufficient for that need. And that grace will manifest itself, as it says, at the proper time in the translation I have, at the appropriate time. God never abandons us, never abandons us. Now, I was curious about this, so I did some verses. Let's do a rapid fire, okay? Look with me, please. Hold on to this. Now, we're talking about the high priest, this great high priest. Look with me, please. This one who has passed through the... I'll stop there. The one who's passed through the heavens means that everything that separates us right now from God's majestic throne center and universe, Jesus passed through all that. He's already there. Didn't take a jet. Didn't need an outfit in his resurrection body. Boom! He went home to heaven. That's where he is now. Well, what's he doing there? Look at chapter 1, please. Write these down or track with me quickly. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. This, this is how it reads. It talks about Jesus, and it says that uh, uh, he spoke this to us by his Son, through whom he, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. He is the radiance of his glory, the exact expression of his nature, 
and he sustains everything by his wonderful word. Now watch. After making purification for sins, that's talking about Calvary. After Calvary, he sat down, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down. He's done. There's nothing can be added. Nothing, absolutely nothing can go wrong with the plan of salvation, either in his giving it or your receiving it. Nothing. And that's what the writer meant in chapter 4. Turn to chapter 4. And look at verse 9. A Sabbath rest remains, therefore, for God's people. Verse 10, 4.10. For the person, that's Jesus, the person who has entered into his rest has rested from his own works just as God did from his on the seventh day of creation, is what the context is talking about. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter into that rest so that no one will fall by the same pattern of disobedience. What's he saying? He's saying that Jesus isn't working anymore. He has set down. His work is finished. Look at chapter 2, please, and verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 9. Here we are told, here we are told that we are to look at Jesus again. Chapter 2, verse 9. We do see Jesus who had been made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace he might test us for everyone, we see Jesus what? Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. He's crowned right now. <laughs> Incredible. He has already entered into a perfect rest a rest is based upon a work that he perfectly accomplished, and that work was absolutely for you. That's why he's a great, that's why he's such a great high priest. Look again at chapter 2. Let your eyes go down, please, to verse uh, 17. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And since he himself was tested and has suffered, he is able to help those who are tested. Do you get it? You got a friend up there. You got a friend at the right hand of the Father. You see that? It gets better. It gets better. Look with me, please, to chapter 8, verse 1. Here the writer is moving forward, and we'll join him in due time. Chapter 8, verse 1. Look, now this is the main point of what is being said in this epistle. Chapter 8, verse 1. We have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. See that? He sat down. He's done. Nothing else can be added. It's done. It's accomplished. That's our confession, that our salvation rests in the finished work of Jesus Christ, who not only was crucified, died, but rose again, is exalted, seated at the right hand of the Father in glory and power. He is seated. He's not pacing the floor. He's not anticipating some further work he has to do. He's not scratching his head about some problem that you've got that's beyond his control, comprehension or, or resolution. Do you get it? You see what the writer is saying. Now, three more verses, and I'll let you go. 
Look at chapter 9, verse 28 first. Chapter 9, verse 28. Look at what it says. Chapter 9, verse 28. Also the Messiah, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. He's coming back. Will appear a second time, not to bear sin, not to deal with sin. He's already done that but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Is that you? Is that me? Are we in expectation, anticipation that this magnificent Son of God, who now sits at the right hand of the Father, is going to come back? He's not going to come back to deal with sin. He's going to come back to take us home. That's the point. Hebrews is a book about prophecy. It's about how this one Jesus did what he did, went to where he is, is seated in the presence of God, crowned with glory and honor, how he's coming back again. Look with me, please, at chapter 10, verse 12. Chapter 10, verse 12. This man, talking about Jesus, this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Okay, we got that. He is now waiting for what? until his enemies are made his footstool. That's what he's waiting on. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Who are those who are sanctified? They are those who have responded to his offer of grace, and through the grace of God he applies his finished work to us and we are now saints. We now have been set apart. We right now are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We are citizens of heaven. Right now, not something we want to be. Feel so sorry for people who say, you know, I just hope I make it. Friend, you don't want to hope you make it. You can know that you are saved. The Bible says that over and over and over again. And it's not because you're holy. Don't, for Pete's sake, get on that, on that, that roller coaster. You can't add anything to the salvation Jesus Christ provides. You can grow up in experiencing it. You can go deeper and deeper and deeper into the realities and truths that are ours in Christ Jesus. You can lay claim to, possess, and enjoy many, many, many of the things that are promised to us by, uh, by His Spirit now. All that's possible to you. You're a saint. Why? Because he made you a saint, because he sanctified you, because he took your place at Calvary, died in your place, paid the penalty for your sin, all of your sin, and that penalty was paid for everybody. Nobody will ever go to hell because Jesus didn't die for them. People go to hell because they refuse to receive him and his gracious gift, gift, gift of salvation. See that? Now, look with me, please, at verse 23, chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our meetings, as some habitually do, but encouraging each other, watch, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? 
What day is he talking about? When he comes back. Yeah, yeah. Hebrews is full of eschatological prophecy. Its focus is that everything that Jesus promised he's going to do, and he's going to do it on time, and in the meantime, we have these marvelous opportunities to know him, to, to be filled with his grace, to discover his mercy, his grace, his truth into our lives, to experience his companionship, his absolute perfect, perfect, perfect fellowship. Incredible. Now, the writer says, you're going to see that day drawing near. How are you going to see it? Well, because you know what the Bible says as it describes the sequences of events that lead up and follow the Lord's return. They're all written in the book. For every promise that Jesus fulfilled in his first coming, there are eight promises that point to his return. What's he waiting on? Until his enemies are made his footstool. Who's going to do that? You and me? Oh, you got to be kidding the Father said, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's not you. That's not the United States. That's not Israel. That's God the Father. He may use any combination of those that he wishes, but God the Father is the one who takes the burden and guarantees the Son. I will make your enemies your footstool. And that's what he's waiting on. And that may be significance in the news we're reading these days. One more verse. Look at verse 35. Chapter 10, verse 35. Chapter 10, verse 35. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you need endurance, so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. Look, for in yet a little while, no, for in yet a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. The coming one, that's the title the author quotes from the Old Testament and applies to Jesus, the coming one. Folks, the book of Hebrews is all about us believing that, accepting that. All about believing what we say we believe about Jesus and appropriating it to our lives and to our needs. The book of Hebrews is about learning the incredible things that Jesus has already done and what significance they have to our world, to ourselves. So, Father, tonight, we thank you for our great high priest. We thank you that you've not left us alone. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you it's powerful. We thank you that the Spirit of God himself is here to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's here to teach us the word, to bring its application to our lives. He's here to empower us that we might walk in his control and his wisdom. He's here to transform us and make us like Jesus. Wow. The whole Godhead wants me to be eternally successful about things that matter for eternity. Convince each of us 
who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that these things are true. Help us not to be embarrassed to confess his name or to confess that truth. Help us not to be timid in coming to the throne of God. Help us not to be ashamed or intimidated, thinking that you could not possibly understand our weaknesses, our failures, our frustrations. You understand it all. You get it all. You've been there. You've already got experience in all the areas of our needs. Comfort us tonight with that. And then, Father, make us bold, courageous in coming to you. Transform our lives by the living word. And then use us, Father. Use us as instruments of your grace in the lives of others. I know, Father, that in each of the hearts here tonight, there are needs, burdens, questions. I pray that you would break us out of our timidity, out of our preoccupation with lesser things, and encourage us to come boldly into the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy and help. Refine our focus on the coming one. May we lift up our eyes because our redemption draws near. I pray, Father, that if uh, someone hearing these words from Hebrews is not certain of their relationship with you through Jesus Christ, I pray that by your Spirit, you would gently and yet firmly tug at their heart, draw them to make that confession of their own sinfulness, their unworthiness, and then give them, Father, a desire to cry out in faith to you and to trust you, to commit themselves to you, to your care, to receive from you the gift of eternal life, abundant, rich life, and fellowship with you. Again, thanks for the beautiful sunshine today. Thank for these wonderful truths about our great high priest. May we walk in the light of them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We will never know our position in Christ until we know his position and his posture. He is seated at the right hand of God. He is resting as we should rest in him. If we're working to gain something he's already attained, namely our righteousness, then we're doing it wrong. The sermon that Jim finished today is called Our Great High Priest. To order the message on CD, just send a gift of $7 or more. For all 19 CDs in our series through Hebrews, please send a check for $66 or more or order that album by phone. We've named it God's Ultimatum, Volume 1. Details in a second. A big thank you to everyone who prayed and donated so that we could air this episode of Right Start. It's never about the size of the gift. It's just about hearing and responding in faith, doing what we can. Thanks, family. Reach us by mail at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. By phone, call 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. Our web address is rightstartradio.org. 
Today's program is there for you to replay, as well as hundreds of others. And you can hear or download complete sermons by Pastor Jim. The holidays are a good disruption, but they are a disruption. If you'd like to stay connected during that busy time, you can link to the Right Start podcast. You can donate securely, too, at rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. The Hebrews grew up understanding who priests were and what they did. We're not as clear on all that. So Jim will elucidate in his next message. We'll talk to you tomorrow on the next Right Start. Thank you.